Have you guys ever messed around with those uh, the AI generators, like not or the the image ones or any of those? Well, it's it's crazy that like they the detail that uh, AI generator can create is it's. Um, do you guys remember when we did the burritos board games in Bonfire? I used uh, I used the AI generator back when they were kind of early to get popular, and uh, at that point in time, they weren't quite as specific. It was like computers couldn't figure out. Yeah, it was just the start of the school year. But even since then, the AI generator that I used has come a long ways because I messed around with it again this week. Um, one of my friends was uh, he was he set it up so in our Discord chat there was a bot that you just typed in a certain couple words in the chat and it would create images even just within the chat. And it was just kind of crazy how how detailed some of these were. And um, I was messing around with it and um, I, I just typed in the Holy Spirit movement and this is the advertisement that it created. It's actually a pretty cool advertisement. Like, like, it looks pretty good. Like, it's detailed, whatever. And then it had... Uh, a dove with a cross for a head, but it is kind of is getting there. It's, it's kind of understanding, or like like you said, Chat GT, G, GPT. Kind of close to a cool. I know. Um, I, I, that's the problem with it. anytime you put anything Christian into it. It seems like you get something kind of cultish back. And it's like you type in Jesus loves you, and it's like. Jesus flexing his arm and then somebody like dying and you're like, okay, computer can't quite understand it, but there is the, the chat GTP or whatever in it, uh, the GT, GPT, but, uh, the, the chat generator, it, you can, there was a conversation in the pastor's group about, um, about whether or not we should trust ch- chat GTP or G, is it GTP or GPT? GPT, GTP, GT is a type of car. But anyway, GPT, whether or not we should trust the chat GPT um, to create sermons for us. Because he went through and he created a couple sermons, posted it, and the 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 hermeneutics in it were actually 100% spot on. Like, it actually deciphered the scripture. He's, he basically said, he typed into the the prompt, um, write a, a sermon outline using this scripture. And the outline it generated was like, actually looked like it was professionally written by a pastor. And so he was, we were talking about the, you know, the, the level of which we can trust something like this. And, and, uh, then we've got Elon Musk who's coming out and he's basically saying that the chat GPT is, um, cause really when it comes down to it, uh, an AI program can only do what the designer taught it to do. It can't think on its own. It can't generate something on its own. It can only do what its creator made it to do. And Elon Musk is coming out and saying that the creators of chat GPT, and we don't get into politics, but basically Elon Musk is saying that chat GPT, the creators, have created it with certain um, parameters that lean more liberal. And so now he's spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, like billions of dollars, to create a new chat GPT that is conservative-leaning. And so 
the the technology is actually getting really cool and it's kind of getting to a point where it's like as humans there's uh like if you're doing your schoolwork, you can get by and not learn anything and probably get all A's with some of that stuff. If you're putting in the programs and like as a pastor, you could totally write all of your sermons using AI technology and then preach it and get away with it and not have to spend the time in order to do that. But on the other side of it, you know, I wrestle with it because a lot of the scripture that I've learned the most and learned the most from is when I wrestled through scripture in order to write a sermon. And so, yeah, it could save me time, but it would also be robbing me of the experience of learning and rob me, robbing me of, of the opportunity to learn those things. And so then I started thinking about it a little bit more and, and I started to, to really dive into like, okay, so what is the AI producing? What is it creating? And like I said, it can only really do what the author of it, whatever the designers designed it to do. And with chat GPT, they have, hundreds of people designing it and creating it in order for it to do what they want it to do. But as Christians and as humans, you know, I kind of have to think, okay, so if everything that a chat, that a AI can generate is still at some point derived from human experience, if we took a look at ourselves that way and we kind of look at ourselves as humans, kind of think we kind of derive from the same experience. Everything that we see or experience is derived from God. Now, as far as like, you know, the, the, the good of it. But then we can choose to serve instead of Christ. We can choose to serve the, the devil. And then, but at that point, everything that is within our sphere of influence, everything with, that we experience then would be generated from that experience instead. And as Christians and as humans, there's really no gray areas. We either serve Christ or we serve Satan. Scripture is very clear that if uh, Luke eleven twenty three says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so when we look at that scripture and we start to look at the other pieces of scripture that talk about, you know, you can only serve one master. You can't serve two different masters. And so if what we're doing is, serving money, serving ourselves, serving uh, any other motive other than God, we're serving the devil. When we are out and we set out with selfish, selfish motivations and we decide, you know what, I'm going to build this life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this amount of money. I'm going to do all of these things and I'm going to go this direction with my life. If we aren't being influenced by the Holy Spirit, we are serving Satan. And there's a point where Jesus is talking to Peter and, um, and he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter says, no, we will never let this happen to you. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. And I, th- I think that that scene as it plays out is so important because it plays into in Scripture, you know, we, we, we have to study Scripture in order to learn from other Scripture. And that piece of scripture also kind of holds in line with what Luke 11 says, and I think it's Matthew 12 says, that whoever is, is not with me is against me. And so at that moment, Peter was against Jesus. And so because he was against Jesus, he was literally serving Satan in that moment. And so Jesus rebukes him. And so, um, you know, tonight I kind of wanted to do something a little bit out of my comfort zone. And, uh, <clears throat> 
what I wanted to do instead of letting AI generate a sermon, I wanted to let the Holy Spirit generate a sermon. And so I did the AI thing in order to kind of keep on theme with it. But, um, you know, tonight, I really, really feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to do something tonight. I don't know what it is, but I just, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to do something in us tonight. And so let's take a second, let's pray. Lord, uh, we just want to thank you for the opportunity to to allow you to move in our hearts and in our minds tonight. As as we give tonight and we give this service over to you, um, Lord, that that you're moving, that you're doing something. And tonight's just it's it, tonight's not just another Chi Alpha night, Lord, that there's reason for tonight. There's purpose for us coming here. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray that your will would be done tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so, while kind of thinking about everything that's going on in the world right now, um, it's interesting because when I talk to some of my fellow pastors, the theme is always talking. It, it's it's impossible to get out of conversation that either revolves around end-time prophecies or revival. It seems, or like the the Jesus Revolution movie or you know, or the Euphrates River is drying up. Like the conversation is uh, amongst pastors, especially ones that I haven't talked to in a long time. It seems like the theme, no matter what, no matter what we set out to talk about, it finds its way back to those topics one way or the other. The conversation always ends up there. Um, I just got done last night. Uh, I played disc golf with um, our presbyter from Alliance and, uh, and, through having conversation with him, it, we were we were two holes in, and boom, we were immediately talking about the Jesus Revolution movie. And he wanted to unpack some things because he felt like he hadn't really had anybody that he could unpack some things with um, that could look at the movie from a different perspective than just an entertainment-based or a inspirational base, but look at like the historical implications of what the pastor did versus what you know Lonnie Frisbee did, and what what would we do in those situations? And the conversation continues to go back to that. And then we're talking about the Asbury revival and the conversation goes to, well, would you have shut it down? Do you think it's a good thing that they shut it down? Or do you believe this or that? And, and um, you know, and, and through that conversation of how would we leave? How, how would we steward what they had to do? What if revival broke out here in Shadron and it got to the point where it was just wreaking havoc and it was chaos and the town around us and the campus and the college, Shatter State College is begging us to figure out somewhere else to host it. What would we do? How would we steward that moment? How would we steward that experience? And, and the crazy thing is no matter, you know, what we think we would do, um, there's always an element of that we don't know because we don't know because we don't know what Lonnie Frisbee was thinking in the moment when he started to fake gifts in the movie or whatever, but in real life it played out differently. I'm not going to get into all of that. But, um, you know, we don't know what the pastor was thinking when he asked, you know, Lonnie to, uh, in real life, you know, there were people getting slain in the spirit. And the pastor basically told Lonnie that if somebody else falls to the ground, that he's fired. And so we don't know what was happening in that moment for the pastor to put that on Delani's shoulders as to, you know, a restriction of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what had gotten them to that place, what got them to that point. And, and um, 
you know, it all kind of circles back to, again, we're going kind of circling back to the, the concept and the thought process of what is revival. Is revival, do we only def- define revival as when it sparks nationwide or can um, a local ministry experience a revival that, ne- that doesn't really spread beyond the local ministry? You know, what are the parameters? What are the restrictions on revival? And, and, and I think it's simpler than that. Honestly, as, I, as I've studied it and I've been studying it for the last, you know, however long it's been since the, the Asbury revival started, um, yeah, I've been taking time to study more about revivals and the Welsh revival and, you know, and, and all of these things that, that occurred in the past and what do we look like? What does it look like for here and now? And, and, um, I, I, I've, I see one theme that plays out everywhere. Beyond revival always starts with prayer. That's, uh, that's a given. And I've said that since, you know, since I uh, was a Christian for like a year. The second thing that I see that comes through no matter where revival breaks out, no matter what happens, is that revival is always a revealing belief that the current level of Christianity that is being experienced is less than what God wants for us. Is the full realization that the Christianity experience that we are experiencing is less than what God wants for us. That God wants more for us. Scripture says that blessed are the poor in spirit, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, Scripture is pretty clear that those who are eager, those who are hungry, are going to be the ones who are fed. And so often we get to this place of we're just content focusing on our walk with Christ. We're content with where we're at. We're comfortable And one thing I always talk about is comfortable Christianity is dead Christianity. There's no such thing as comfortable Christianity. And so no matter what revival you look at, no matter where it started, how it started, there's always the revealing, there is always the the understanding that what we are currently experiencing is not everything God has for us. And so right here tonight in Chi Alpha, our current, each, every single one of us, Jack, the level that you are a Christian right now is not everything that God has for you. Desi, the, the, the level of Christianity that you are experiencing, the experience you have had with God is not everything that God has for you. The faster that we realize that, the quicker that we can begin to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Beyond a revival, it's, and, and that's another thing. Anybody who intends to, to start a revival is usually out of line. If my intention tonight is we're going to start a revival tonight, you're out of line. Because that's not re- what revival is. It's not based upon our desires. It's based upon God's will and what He is doing. And so really what it comes down to is the only way that revival really sparks is that there has to be a desire, an overpowering desire for more, for more of Christ, for more of God in our lives. Matthew 12 says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. 
either in this world or in the world to come. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. <clears throat> While I was thinking and just kind of meditating on this verse, I kind, I kind of the the what came to my mind, and it's been kind of an overpowering thought throughout the day, has been um, great value. Do you guys know what great value is? It's the Walmart knockoff brand. So, like, have you ever gone? Have you ever bought like great value peanut butter? Or like great value cookies. I always kind of equate uh, Far West. I always call it the their tie. I always call it great value tie. It's because when there's there's a void, great value is good. If if you don't have any cookies, great value cookies are going to be good. You're going to be content with that. But when you set great value right next to an Oreo, and you taste an Oreo, and then you taste a great value, it tastes off. It doesn't quite taste right. And I feel like so often in American Christianity and in, in, in our lives, we've found this Christian experience that I would call the great value Christian experience. It's almost right. It's almost there. And in a void, when we don't have Jesus in our lives at all, that great value Christianity feels good. It's the great value Christianity is the, the kind of Christianity that teaches that you know, that you won't experience any setbacks or downfalls in your life. If you give life to, if you give your life to Jesus, you'll be rich. The prosperity gospel, all of that stuff is, is great value Christianity. It's just not quite right. But presented next to a void of, of darkness and despair, great value Christianity is great because it's so much better than the, the devoid, the, the, the lifeless and the, the meaningless. But when we compare that Christianity with what everything God has for us, with the real Christianity, a close, intimate relationship with Jesus, making Jesus Christ number one in our lives, pursuing after the Holy Spirit, pursuing after Jesus with our all, when we compare that great value Christianity to real Christianity, it pales in comparison. I look back to the scripture that talks about when um, Jesus is talking about how lukewarm Christians, that God will spit them out of his mouth. I think of lukewarm Christianity is the same as great value Christianity. It's just not quite Christianity. And I feel like in America, so many of us are walking around with this great value Christianity where we've made Jesus a very big part of our life. We've got the chocolate. We've got the, the cream, you know, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us throughout our day. We've got the flavor, we've got the sugar, you know, we go to church on Sunday mornings, we go to Chi Alpha on Tuesday nights, we've got the basic components, but we're really missing just that extra little something. And really the difference between getting from a great value Christianity to the, the, the real deal Oreo Christianity is putting truly putting Jesus first in our life. And so we have to ask ourselves, what would it look like? 
what would real Christianity in my life look like? Because I feel like at some level, we all have an ingredient from the great value Christianity. Because again, as we go back to revival is the revealing belief that our current level of Christianity is less than what God wants for us. And so at some level, there's some component of us that is great value Christianity. And so what would it look like? What would your life look like if you were completely, unabashedly, unashamedly sold out for Jesus? What is the difference? What's the missing ingredient in your life? I think for most American Christians, really time with God, time with Jesus is usually the first ingredient that's missing, the biggest ingredient that's missing. The, the time spent with, with Jesus, time spent with the Holy Spirit, really that's, that's the sugar of it. That's really what's going to give it the flavor that it has. Sometimes another ingredient that's missing is making disciples, being discipled. That's an ingredient that's often missing. But really, I think for the American Christian, I think the biggest, biggest hurdle that we have to overcome really comes down to something that is ingrained in us from the moment we're born. And it is the American dream that we're going to have a mansion and we're going to have a six figure paying job. We're going to be wealthy. We're going to have a nice car. We're going to have all of these experiences that are just going to come to us and we're going to have everything that we need. We're going to be happy. We're going to be healthy. We're going to have two and a half kids, a white picket fence. We're not going to struggle with anything. Two and a half kids is the average uh, amount of kids. And two and a half kids is the average, average uh, size of family in America. So we think we're going to have this just picture perfect life. And then oftentimes what happens is that life isn't given to us. Something happens. For me, I mean, you can throw in a bunch of different things and I'm not going to go into a woe is me, but you know, my mom passing away, my dad passing away before I was 35 years old, both my parents gone, not being able to have kids until I was 34 years old, being a missionary and being underfunded for the first eight years of my ministry. It doesn't always go the way that we have planned. However, through each and every single one of those experiences, the good and the bad, I can see the Holy Spirit's handiwork. I can see how He was weaving my circumstances in order to teach me and to discipline me in order to serve Him closer. He was changing out an ingredient after an ingredient. He was taking the great value cookie and He was changing the things that He needed to change in order for my experience to be more like what He intended in my life. And so my question for you tonight is really what it comes down to is what ingredients are missing? What things are missing from your life? What things in your life do you need to change in order to have that more? And then the second question is, if you can come up with things, if you can tangibly come up with things that, that you feel like would move you closer to that more, closer to that full experience, what's preventing you from changing those things? Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's energy, motivation, desire. But I would bet that 99% of the time it is ourselves. 
we've prioritized ourselves, our desires over God's. What is the biggest difference that you see between your walk with Christ and biblical Christianity? The Christianity of the disciples, we're talking the New Testament Christianity. For me, I can say, I think the biggest difference between my version of Christianity and biblical Christianity is the fervor in which the disciples loved their neighbors that weren't Christian to share the gospel. To the level of, of being jailed and crucified, I don't share the gospel to the point of persecution. I can't think of the last time I was persecuted because of my desire to share the gospel with somebody. And, not, and I'm not talking about shoving Jesus down people's throat. I'm talking about eagerly and with desire, with passion, sharing the gospel with people. I genuinely cannot remember the last time I was persecuted. We talked about the ways in which we can adjust and change things on our side, but no matter what we do on the other side of the equation, so what we've kind of been focusing on the last couple months is viewing these sermons, viewing these thought processes both ways. So we've looked at it pretty in-depth from our perspective towards God so what do we so how do we look at it the other way from God's perspective back to us? We have to realize so if we look at this this saying, we look at this reality, this truth the other direction, we see a God who desperately desires more for us. That God isn't holding out, God isn't punishing us, God isn't just sitting there going, gosh, if you would just fix this one thing, well, then maybe you could convince me, I guess, if you really gave me a good argument, you could convince me to, to pour out more of the Holy Spirit in your life. No, God is standing, standing there pouring it out. And He is saying that I want so much more for your life. And so when we come to God with our selfishness and our agenda, God's standing on the other side going, if you only knew. If you only knew what a life completely sold out to me would look like, if you only knew what your life, how much better it could be if you spent more time with me, how much better your life could be if you gave your goals and your agenda over to me rather than trying to force it your way, how much more rewarding your life would be in the end. And so as a result, we have to be careful that goals and, and agendas and, and having Desires in your life are beneficial. They're good. But we have to filter all of that stuff through the kingdom of God, through the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't, and on the other side of it, if we just assume, well, we can't have agendas and goals and whatever, then we're just not going to do anything. And so have agendas, have a goal, have, have motivation, have things that you want to do and achieve, but filter those through the Holy Spirit, filter those through God. Because God is standing on the other side. He's eagerly wanting more for us. He's eagerly wanting us to be closer. So, let's pray. Lord, um, just pray that each and every single one of us would come under the full realization that you want more for us. Not only that you want more for us, Lord, I pray that we would come under the full realization that there is more for us. Flat out, there is more for us. There's more for us than we currently have right now. It doesn't matter if we're on fire for Jesus right now or if we're struggling in our walk. There is more for us. 
I pray that you would help us, help us to come under that full realization. Whatever it's got to take, whatever it has to look like, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. Ironically, for me, uh, <laughs> the full conviction is on me of still with my phone, pulling it out and having the conversation. I fully, fully realize the weight of what my phone is still costing me each day. So Lord, I pray that each one of these guys would have something that tangibly that you, Holy Spirit, that you're calling them out, that you're rebuking them in, that you're wanting to walk them through in that process of growth what it looks like for us to get closer to you and have a life that is more dedicated to you. Even if it is in the midst of a hectic, hectic day because we work and we have classes and we do all of these things, if Lord, if it's 10 minutes, if it's five minutes, if it's, if it's, if it's doing something a little differently, I pray that you would speak to our hearts on it. May I say in your name we pray. Amen.